Tonight, a push for compassion over prosecution. The first Canadian province to decriminalize hard drugs. Confronting the deadly overdose crisis. How much shame Jason must have carried and why he hid his substance use. A new legal experiment in British Columbia. A suicide bomber strikes during prayers in Pakistan. It is particularly abhorrent. Dozens massacred inside a packed mosque. Plus, remembering hockey legend Bobby Hull. Takes a shot. He made us all better players and better people. A celebrated career and a complicated legacy. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. A potentially groundbreaking experiment that could dramatically influence drug policy right across this country comes into effect tomorrow in British Columbia, the first province in Canada to decriminalize small amounts of hard drugs. The goal, to prevent overdoses from toxic street drugs. Catherine Botchford lost her husband in 2019. He died alone using an illegal substance. His secret became my secret, which became this harboring shame that I carried for a year. I was so fearful that people would judge him and tear down his legacy. Here's CTV's Binder Sudgeon on the pivotal change and the persistent challenges. As the epicenter of a toxic drug crisis, BC will become the first province in Canada to allow adults to carry two and a half grams of opioids, cocaine, meth, MDMA, and avoid arrest. Instead, they'll be given cards connecting them to social services and addiction supports. Instead of being treated as criminals, they will be treated with care and compassion. The federal minister of mental health and addictions making it clear the import, export, production or sale of drugs could still land you in jail. This exemption is not legalization. Unlike cannabis, the drugs won't be sold in stores. For years, police departments in the province were letting simple possession slide. Now the drugs won't be seized either. We're really hoping that those interactions are obviously non-criminal and positive. Measures to protect kids include keeping it illegal to possess the drugs in schools, childcare facilities and vehicles operated by minors. More than 10,000 British Columbians have died since 2016 when the emergency was first declared, including Catherine Botchford's husband, leaving three kids without a dad. I was with Jason for 17 years. So when I discovered how he died, I thought there must be a mistake. Jason doesn't do drugs. Advocates say more still needs to be done, including providing a safer substance supply. Decriminalization as a response to overdoses is a drop in, in the bucket and not a sufficient response. Drug user Liberation Front sells drugs made and tested in BC to members at cost. The unsanctioned trial helps 40 people on Vancouver's downtown east side. Co-founder Jeremy Callicum says many of them report they're using less and overdosing less. They're getting more of what they need and, and aren't getting ripped off. They're having less interactions from police, having to do um, less less crime to, to pay for their habit, if, if that is what they're doing. The three-year pilot is an important test as other jurisdictions like Toronto have applied for similar exemptions, which Health Canada says are under review. BC and Ottawa will share data with the public through a quarterly dashboard with the hope it will help reduce the number of overdose deaths.
Omar. Data other provinces will also be keeping an eye on. Bender, thank you for this tonight. The opioid crisis became worse during the pandemic because of a toxic street supply and more people seeking an escape from isolation. Today, the U.S. president said on May 11th, he is ending the COVID-19 national and public health emergency declarations three years after they were first issued. But as CTV's Kristen Adjikate reports, the World Health Organization insists the threat isn't over. Thanks to a higher level of immunity through vaccination and infection, the world is in a better place than it was a year ago. But today, the World Health Organization announced its global public health emergency will remain in place. In the past eight weeks, more than 170,000 people have lost their lives to COVID-19. And that's just the reported deaths. Health experts are predicting a second wave of the Omicron virus in China after the country lifted its zero COVID rules. And in large parts of Africa, vaccines are still not getting to those who need the most. Many parts of the world still have um, really under-vaccinated populations, including our neighbors to the south in the U.S. Today, the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies called the pandemic the biggest disaster of human life that killed 6.5 million people. They question why most countries are still not prepared for any future outbreaks. There will be no excuse for a continued lack of preparedness after having gone through three terrible years. The WHO is now calling for more at-risk groups to be vaccinated, increases in lab testing, and strategies to combat pandemic misinformation. This at a time of pandemic fatigue, with more people ignoring mask wearing and social distancing. COVID's not going anywhere. This is going to be around for a long, long, long time. And even when the designation is lifted, we still have to take care of ourselves. Despite 13.1 billion vaccines administered across the globe and preventing severe disease, health experts remain cautious as the virus is here to stay for the foreseeable future. Omar. All right, Kreesen, thanks. A hospital in Pakistan was described as a scene of chaos today after suicide bombing in the major city of Peshawar. At least 61 people were killed with another 157 wounded in the attack on a crowded mosque. Somehow, the bomber breached multiple checkpoints with hundreds of police officers nearby in what is supposed to be a highly secure area. CTV's Danielle Hamamjan reports. Police officers saluting the dead, the majority of whom are fellow officers, who had gathered for noon prayers at this mosque. Hundreds of worshippers had lined up, and just as the words, Allah is the greatest, were heard, a man standing in the first row detonated a bomb. The explosion caused the roof to collapse on top of them. They were killed by the dozens. Even more were injured. One by one, pulled out of the rubble. building we have no idea how many are trapped under there, said this man. Visiting the wounded, Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif said anyone targeting Muslims during prayer had nothing to do with Islam. It's the latest attack targeting police in this northwestern city where Islamist militants remain active. The compound the suicide bomber breached is supposed to be heavily fortified. The area is also home to the provincial police force, 
as well as the counter-terrorism department. The attack has now put provinces around Pakistan on high alert with extra security forces deployed. In the capital, Islamabad, snipers have now been positioned on buildings at city entrance points. Omar. Such a tragic scene, Danielle. Thank you. The Pakistani Taliban, or TTP, is closely aligned with the Taliban, who rule Afghanistan. And for the three million Afghan refugees who have fled to neighboring Pakistan, the escalation of violence adds another layer of risk. Canadian government, please help me. Please take me out from here. Ottawa has promised to resettle 40,000 vulnerable Afghans by the end of the year. To date, less than 30,000 have arrived, with thousands more still stranded and waiting. CTV Genevieve Beauchemin explores the perils of escaping the Taliban in her reporter's notebook. It's airing Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern on CTV News Channel and also streaming on Crave. A small group of mothers detained in northeastern Syria claim Ottawa is forcing them to make an agonizing choice. Their children are Canadian and are eligible for repatriation, but the women are not. So to get the kids to safety in Canada, the mothers fear they may have to give them up. CTV's Judy Trin has more. After years, freedom is within grasp for some Canadian women and children, but not all. Under the federal agreement, women who married Canadian men do not qualify for repatriation, but their children do, if their mothers let them go. One woman says Global Affairs is demanding she make a decision by next week. These children will get destroyed. They will live the rest of their life knowing their mother abandoned them. Asiya, who we are not identifying to keep her safe, is married to a man from Ottawa. Asiya, why did you follow him to Syria? I knew his stuck. He got very sick. He was researching the Islamic State. Seven years ago, she followed him to Syria before Kurdish forces took over the territory and threw him in prison. They have three children. The oldest is severely autistic. Her middle son is suffering from burns after falling into a kerosene heater. Her daughter was born in the camp. I have no choice. Either I lose them, not seeing them, or I lose them here as the camp grave is full of young bodies. There are four mothers and ten children in the same situation. Their Canadian father is missing, maybe even dead, and the children may not have other relatives in Canada. It's one of the cruelest and most inhumane policies that we can imagine. It's family separation. It's enforced family separation. You know, you described it as, as a choice. It's a Sophie's choice. It's a non-choice. Where the choice sits, in fact, is with the Canadian government. Global Affairs did not respond to a request for comment. Meanwhile, lawyers are trying to get the mother's temporary resident permits to get them to Canada. Omar. All right, Judy, thank you. That is just one of the complicated issues that will likely come up in Parliament now that MPs are back in Ottawa after a six-week break. On the first day of their return, though, debate centered mainly around health care, ethics, and the economy. Here's CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver. Oral questions. Guess Parliament is back after a nearly seven-week break, and already the pressure is on. Prime Minister says that Canadians have never had it so good as they face 40-year highs in inflation as food prices are up 12% year over year after he brought in a carbon tax on our farmers. Canadians are struggling right now with high inflation caused by global crises, with interest rates, uh, with disruptions in the global supply chains, and that's why we've stepped up. 
Inflation and the rising cost of living, topics weaving their way into almost every discussion on Parliament. For Justin Trudeau, if he gets this wrong, it's basically a political gift to Pierre Poiliev. While Poiliev is laser-focused on government spending, the NDP is prioritizing health care. Given how serious it is that we make the right choices now... To requesting an emergency debate on privatization today that was denied. The move setting the stage for next week when the Prime Minister and the provinces meet to hopefully hammer out a deal on health transfers. The deal will be a failure if it doesn't include major commitments to hire more health care workers. Last year, job vacancies in health care and social services continued to rise, with the latest numbers showing an all-time high of 150,000 positions unfilled. Probably 50, 60 times. That's how many times Catherine Thompson has tried to find a family physician since she moved to Oshawa. But because of the shortage, six years later, she's still driving at least an hour and a half to see her doctor in Barrie. And, and it's not from the lack of trying. Even when I would say, you know, find a doctor a practice that had capacity, it was one of the things where they'd say, well, we'll take you, but we won't take you or your, your husband or your sons. The premiers issued a joint statement today, once again calling for a 35% increase to health transfers. But the prime minister has signaled Omar he's not looking for a one-size-fits-all approach. All right, Annie, thank you. Fans on both sides of the border are mourning one of hockey's best players of all time. Bobby Hull led the Chicago Blackhawks to the Stanley Cup, and he also starred for the Winnipeg Jets. Robert Marvin Hull was born in Port Anne, Ontario on January 3, 1939. And before tonight's game, the club honored him with a moment of silence. But some off-ice incidents cast a shadow over his distinguished career. CTV's Jill Mackishan reports. With his movie star good looks and wicked slap shot, Bobby Hall became one of the biggest hockey stars on the ice. Bobby Hall picked it up off the board. The Ontario-born player made his name in the NHL, the first to score over 50 goals in a season. A Hall of Famer spending 15 years with the Chicago Blackhawks, helping the team hoist the Stanley Cup in 1961. He had that pizzazz. It was quite common for him to start behind his own net, go end to end. And, uh, and score, the kind of thing you never see anymore today. Nicknamed the Golden Jet for his blonde hair and killer speed, Hall became a Winnipeg Jet in 1972. I don't think I could have said no to him. The superstar of the startup World Hockey Association, Hall came to Winnipeg as the highest paid hockey player of his time. To try and get rid of the Jets, because he didn't want to leave Chicago really, he said, well, I'll just tell him I'll play for a million bucks bonus up front. And he thought that would make everybody go away. And then Ben Haskins said, well, stand by. They made a couple phone calls, in a couple days they had a million dollars. And Bobby said, I'm a man of my word, you got yourself a hockey player. I thought, man, we're getting this superstar out of the National Hockey League and he's actually coming to Winnipeg. I mean, dream come true. Joe Daly was goalie for the Winnipeg Jets. Today he sells sports memorabilia. Hall was Daly's teammate for six seasons and a good friend. I had a lot of respect for him. And I think he had a lot of respect for me. He made us all better players and better people, I think. Hull faced legal and family troubles off the ice. Accused of abuse by two former spouses, he was once convicted of assaulting a police officer. Today, acknowledgments from Winnipeg and Chicago, where Hull was remembered in a statement as one of the greatest Blackhawks players of all time by the team's owner. Hull's sons and family have requested privacy. Bobby Hull was 84 years old. Jill Mackishon, CTV News, Winnipeg. Coming up, a surprise NHL debut.
It is the dream, and especially for your hometown. A chance to play between the pipes, plus. Wow, remember what they used to call us? Gutsy, nutsy, and klutzy. Morning, Cindy Williams of Laverne and Shirley fame. Seven officers from the Memphis Police Department have now been removed from duty over the fatal beating of Tyree Nichols. Officer Preston Hemphill was one of the first officers on the scene, his body cam capturing the violent traffic stop. He's been suspended while another unidentified officer has been fired without pay. Five others were already charged with second-degree murder. Two paramedics have also been fired for failing to provide adequate medical care. Shocking allegations of abuse have emerged against the Canadian co-founder of the international non-profit L'Arche. Jean Vanier is accused of sexually abusing at least 25 women over nearly seven decades until 2019, the year he died. A report commissioned by the Organization for People with Intellectual Disabilities found that Vanier exploited people seeking spiritual guidance for sexual purposes. And mired in sexual assault allegations, a senior Canadian Catholic leader seen as a close ally of the Pope is quitting one of the most powerful positions at the Vatican. Here's CTV's Vanessa Lee. Cardinal Mark Wallet says it's time to take on new challenges after more than a decade at the helm of the Vatican's bishop's office. In a statement, he says he is three years beyond the age limit for the position and he is resigning. The Canadian who had the more responsibility in Vatican. That's his legacy. He was really at the top, let's say, the top five in the Vatican. Seen front and center during Pope Francis's visit to Canada last summer, Wallet was once considered his potential successor. His departure from the prominent position comes as he is embroiled in scandal. Wallet has denied allegations of sexual misconduct during his time as Archbishop of Quebec. Pamela Grolot, then a 23-year-old pastoral agent, says he slid his hand down her back and touched her buttocks at an event. Wallet is countersuing for defamation. Accusations by another woman recently came to light. The Vatican says it conducted an internal investigation and ultimately rejected the complaint. I think that retiring is going to get Mark Wallet out of the public eye. Wallet will stay on as cardinal and will be allowed to vote in the next papal election until he is 80. His successor, an American-born missionary in Peru, takes over his duties in April. Vanessa Lee, CTV News, Montreal. Still ahead, the investigation into a tragedy at a Quebec ski hill. A deadly accident involving a child on the way up a hill. Skiers out enjoying this weekend's heavy snowfall about two hours north of Montreal were horrified after a young girl died. It happened at the Val Saint-Combe Ski Resort. The six-year-old, who was taking lessons at the time, was using a T-bar ski lift as she was going up a hill. Quebec Provincial Police are investigating. An iconic ride inside the West Edmonton Mall will be demolished after almost 40 years. The Mindbender roller coaster shut down as of today and will be replaced as part of renovations at the Indoor Amusement Park. The ride opened in 1985. In 1986, three people were killed on the roller coaster in a crash. It reopened the following year.
Cindy Williams, one of the stars of the 1970s sitcom Laverne and Shirley, has died in Los Angeles after a brief illness. Williams played Shirley in the series, which was a spin-off of Happy Days, two of the most popular shows at the time. She also starred in the 1973 film American Graffiti. Williams was 75 years old. This is the latest. It's called The Drew. And Lisa Loring, the first actress to play Wednesday Addams in the original Addams Family sitcom, has also died. She was 64. After the break. Definitely a dream come true. An Alberta goalie gets an unexpected shot at a big league game. A university student from Alberta traded studies for saves this weekend when he got a surprise call to play in an NHL game. Here's CTV's Nermi Nissa on the big break. It was back to reality for Matt Berlin Monday morning. It's been pretty wild. Yeah, my phone, phone's been blowing up. Berlin, who plays for the University of Alberta Golden Bears, suited up for the Edmonton Oilers Saturday night as an emergency backup. He never thought he'd get in the game. With the Oilers up 7-3 late in the third, the players asked the head coach if Berlin could see some action. It's Matt Berlin looks like he's getting yep. set he's to getting come off. on the ice, and there he there is, is with right the, the Golden Bears pads. <laughs> getting a standing oh, wow. ovation here from the Oilers faithful. The 25-year-old, sporting his green and gold equipment, closed out the final two minutes and 26 seconds, nicknamed the Berlin Wall. Jones, a shot, blocker stop from Matt Berlin. <laughs> and the fans are loving it. He stopped the only shot he faced and was named player of the game by his teammates. Trying to, you know, give a, a cool moment to, uh, to, to someone that, uh, you know, was, uh, was here and, um, you know, obviously lived out a dream to play in the NHL. And I thought the NHL was maybe, maybe out of reach at this point, but apparently not. And, uh, yeah, definitely a dream come true. His teammates and head coach say his accomplishment is inspiring. Whenever you see somebody on your team uh, do something individually that's positive for him, uh, we're a family, so uh, we can kind of band behind that. Great teammate, good academics, uh, good person in the dressing room, so it's good to see guys like that get an opportunity like that. Berlin had more than just the game on his mind this weekend. After this interview, he was off to write a psychology midterm. Okay. I could have used the extra day to study, but uh, I think I think I get my my first NHL game was well worth a few uh, few questions wrong on the test. <laughs> Nair Misa, CTV News, Edmonton. Sometimes the best lessons are out of the classroom. That is a snapshot of this Monday for all of us at CTV National News. Good night.